The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Argarades. We have podcasting royalty with us today. It's my friend, Daniele Bolelli, who is the man, the myth, the legend behind the History on Fire podcast. He's also got another really cool show called The Drunken Dallas Show, which is it's just wonderful. There's no other way to put it. He's just, uh, he's got a very unique and interesting mind, which is something I truly admire about him. And uh, we always have good conversations. And uh, Daniele and I have been on his show a couple of times and he's been on some of my previous podcasts. And uh, this show was something I was really looking forward to and it did not disappoint. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it. Just wanted to let you guys know, I wanted to plant the seed in your mind. As you know, I've been doing one-to-one coaching with uh, certain men since the beginning of the year. And I've been having a lot of fun doing that. I really feel that it is... um, it is my calling to help men really become self-actualized and lead the lives of their dreams. And uh, I'm going to take it one step further. Even we are going to be, or well, I'm going to be running retreats in Hawaii amongst other places. And they're going to just be something really special. I've done retreats in the past, but that were more focused to jujitsu. And these are going to be focused to personal development and self-actualization We're going to be working on all aspects of what it is to be a a healthy, successful, connected, passionate man in the modern world. And they're going to be something truly unique and truly special. I'm actually going to Hawaii in about 10 days for a scouting trip to just check out the potential venues. And uh, I'm very excited about that. Never been to Hawaii. I've heard it's a truly special place. I think one day I'll tell you guys how this trip came about. It was an incredibly serendipitous series of events. I'm all for this idea that the universe is constantly speaking to you. And if you learn how to listen, uh, you really pick up on the messages very clearly. And the way this trip came about is just mind-blowing. Hopefully I'll be able to relate it to you on an episode of the show in the future. So guys, just planting that seed, Uh, it'll be very, very limited spaces on these retreats, but um, we'll probably do three or four of them a year. The first one is going to be in January, and I will let you know more information about them a little bit closer to the time, a little bit later in the year. I hope you guys enjoy this next episode with Daniele Bolelli. Guys, I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend that is Daniele Bolelli. I'm so happy to have you on the show, my brother. Thank you for taking the time out of your very busy day to, to speak with us. Thank you so much, Nick. It's always fun to chat with you. Yeah, man. You're just one of those people, whenever I spend time with you in person or on the phone, I always feel charged up. You know, I just, I feel, I feel good. And I really am making it a point to spend more of my time around people like that and, and not spending time around people who do the opposite. 
<laughs> I dig that because, you know, so, uh, as you say, you know, time is limited. We only have uh, only oh, so much time in a day, so much time in a lifetime. Sure. It's rather important to choose where you spend it. That's probably one of the biggest things we can, uh, one of the biggest choices that face us every day. 100%, dude, 100%. And, you know, I, I think I, I mentioned this in a couple of episodes back, but I mean, it's to me, it's all about energy now, dude. And I know that is... I'm at the point where I don't even like apologizing for it, but I know that sometimes I, I just don't want to alienate the people listening who have an aversion to anything that's a little bit metaphysical or anything that isn't totally um, rationalist or totally scientific. But I'm at that point now where truly in my life, everything is energy. What kind of energy does something bring into my life is the first question I'm always asking. What kind of energy do the actions I take bring in? Does it cause drama? Does it cause me to feel tired? Or does it cause me to feel energized and excited and motivated? And, and that's pretty much the yardstick by, what, by which I'm measuring everything. Business, life, relationships, uh, my hobbies. That is the question I ask. And if it fails that little acid test, then I cut it out. I agree 110%. And I don't even think it's, uh, oh, this is some woo-woo strange stuff. I mean, if you think about it, any dumb chihuahua can smell you for seven <laughs> seconds and decide whether you are a decent human being or whether you are a horrible person that they need to bark at. Sure. It would be weird to assume that uh, any dog can somehow have these amazing capabilities that are foreign to human beings. I think as long as you start uh, paying attention to certain feelings, being kind of clearing up your instincts so that you're not projecting your own crap, but you're just responding to what's there, mm -hmm. that's a capacity we all have. I mean, it's nothing mystical or weird. Anybody, you know, you walk into a room and you get a feeling from it. You know what the energy in that place is. And again, energy may sound like, ooh, energy is not. It, it is what it is, you know, it's like, everybody puts some put a certain vibe out there it's who they are it's uh, the quality of their thoughts it's what they are going through it's you know sometimes you run into somebody and immediately you know what's going on you get a feeling of like oh damn something is really off today and they may yeah. have it one word and they may not even look that weird but there's just that something there sure you know i have <laughs> one of the reasons i i know it is something I mean, I guess metaphysical isn't the right word. Maybe it's just something that scientifically we don't understand or don't know how to, to prove just yet. I guess one of the ways we could look at it is at some form of quantum entanglement. I found that I can, I can be in communication with someone on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. Literally, like I'll have a, I've got a friend in South Africa, right? And well, my brother is a good example. My brother and I will have a, a little text exchange on, on uh, messenger and if there is some kind of vibe between us, like like maybe I've misinterpreted something he said, or maybe he's angry with me about something, even if the content of the message is cordial or totally, it, it doesn't give any of that away, you can just feel, there's like a, a, a literal like feeling like in my chest, I can tell something's not right. Like, if, does that make sense? Absolutely. And this is the kind of thing that's really about interpersonal communication that's really fascinating me is I've said before that there's there's always two layers to everything. There's the surface and there's the depth, right? And and we're trained, most of us are trained in the, in the world that we live in is all about the surface, right? Yep. And yep. there's very little teaching and very little practice into 
going into identifying the depth of what's really going on beneath the surface. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that. You know, when I meet someone, I want to look into their eyes, shake their hand, and I want to, I'm not so much interested in the content of their words. I'm interested in, in like how that person makes me feel like, like you said earlier, that vibe that you get of them. So it's cool to hear that you, you feel the same. I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you a creepy story about that. Um, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for, I'll start kind of in the middle. I won't get into the whole uh, behind the scene of how I ended up in this place because that takes us far away. But basically, I was in the visiting room on death row in San Quentin State Prison back like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, something like that. And, you know, it's an interesting place because everybody in the room, there are the visitors and then everyone else is there because they kill somebody. But the funny thing about it is that most of the people there, they don't look or give off a vibe that's all that different from the one you get from most people down the street on any given day. Mm-hmm. You can crack jokes, they can be pleasant. They are, in many cases, some of them are cavemen. You know, it's like, if you have something I want, I will murder you over it. But if you don't have something I want, we meet each other in a different context, we can be pleasant and chit-chat. And So it's, there's a weird sense of normalcy there because it feels actually not that different from what you would feel with a lot of people. But then in that situation, I remember, so, you know, there are maybe 20, 30 guys there visiting with their families. And I see this one guy and no more than two seconds, right? And I immediately feel like, you know, the proverbial chill down your spine. I literally feel a chill down my spine. I'm just like, holy shit, this is something different. This is... And, you know, for somebody to stand out in a room full of murderers, Fuck, you know. that takes something <laughs> different there, you know? Yeah. And I am, this dude at one point just, like, I'm looking at him because I'm getting this really weird vibe from him. And he just starts staring at me and he gives me this creepy smile. And I was like, I turned to somebody. I'm like, hey, who's that guy? What, what's up with that one? And he's like, oh, that one. Yeah, that's... Uh, <laughs> That's Richard Ramirez, the, the Night Stalker, one of the most nasty serial killers in U.S. history. Goddamn. And it was weird because he's like, there was not a guy like some, there was a qualitative difference there because, you know, some other guy, he could be a normal guy who's lacking certain compassion instincts and they will kill you over a bar fight, but otherwise they could be a normal human being. And he just acted rashly or just made a stupid mistake in the heat of the moment, right? That's different. You know, that's uh, for those people, killing you is a mean to an end because they want something. Clearly, that doesn't make them good people, of course, but it's also a little more like you can somewhat relate a little more. Mm-hmm. Whereas with somebody for whom killing you is the goal, you know, inflicting pain for a guy like Ramirez is the goal, it's not a byproduct of it. You can feel it right away. I mean, there wasn't even a big, like that guy was completely different from any other guy in that room. Wow. That is really creepy. And I was like, oh my God, like this is palpable. You know, it's something yeah. that now you feel it in a very, or oh, maybe kind of who type of way. You feel it. Sure. If you put a hand off a, on a hot stove, you feel it kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I appreciate you sharing sharing that with me. I've never been in a place like San Quentin, 
But I, I had a similar experience, you know, I, this was about 10 years ago. It was one of my first trips to Los Angeles. And I, uh, this was before, the, I think just before Uber or, or close to the advent of Uber. And I, at any point, I, I didn't have access to Uber. And I, I called a, an online taxi company because I was somewhere in the valley and I wanted to get to another part of Los Angeles. Yep. Um, and so this taxi arrives and kind of like a bit of a beat up car, right? And uh, I get in the car and it's it's this guy in the front seat, right? And I instantly just feel something's not right. Like just, you, you use the word palpable and that's the best way to describe it. Something just was not right about this dude. So anyway, we, we drive off and, I, I, you know, I, I always try to speak to the, the people I'm in the, in the car with, unless I'm busy on a phone call or something like that. I mean, I, I, I want to treat them as a human being because that's what they are. And I want to let them know that they matter. And I want to engage. And a lot of them have some interesting life stories, you know, and, and things that I can learn from them. And so I just start chatting to this guy, asking where he's from. And he, he told me he's from Nigeria. So I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, I'm from South Africa. And, you know, we, we just get chatting. And then at one point, he just starts saying how... Saw that, like, uh, he starts talking about the, the white cockroaches and how they invaded Africa, right? And, and I just said to him, Excuse me, and then he went on this rant about how the, the white people did all this, how they raped Africa, and how they're the, the cause for all the problems on the continent. And to be fair, I understand he has a point. There is a point that there were the colonials did a bunch of fucking terrible stuff in Africa, and I totally get that, but man, this dude just had this, like, I could sense that it didn't matter what the thing was, he would have found something. Like if I hadn't been a white dude that originally come from South Africa and I'd started talking to him, he would have asked about my job and then made some comment about my job. But he, he was just like jonesing for some kind of conflict. And at one, eventually, dude, like keep in mind, I'm in a, in a reasonably foreign city. I didn't know Los Angeles that well at, the point, at that point. Man, this guy made me feel so fucking like weird and just fucked up and to be fair i was pretty stoned at the time i literally had him pull over on the side of the highway dude i think about that right i had this guy pull over on the side of the highway because i just could not be near him anymore i was literally like i cannot be in the same place as this dude so he pulled over at the side of the highway and i was so jolted and jarred from that guy's energy and what he's projecting out i just burst into tears and like at that point, I was like a 29 year old man. I just started crying and I had to call my dad from the side of the road. And I was like, dad, man, I'm really worried. Like I, I, something's wrong. I just met this guy and it just, anyway, I've, I've subsequently learned how to control and, and put it like stronger boundaries, you know, like when it comes to my, my personal space and personal energy, but I totally get what you mean about the, there those like certain individuals that are just vibrating at a very low frequency or there's just something not quite right. And yeah, I don't want anything to do with that, man. Yeah, and of course, and and the, and the opposite happens, right? That you run into people and they haven't said one damn word and you just want to spend as much time as humanly possible around them because sure. what you feel around them is amazing. Yeah, that's actually what, um, you know, we, we speak, every, it seems every time you and I talk uh, that, that Osho comes up. And one of the things Osho, uh, the spiritual teacher, for those of you not familiar with his work, said is that it's, when he was teaching people, it wasn't so much the, the, the content of his words. It was just about having them, uh, those people being in his presence. And he would kind of like, in fact, isn't the right word, but kind of like uh, if you take a candle, a lit candle, and you, you touch it to an unlit candle, it lights that candle. 
And I think that's what he was trying to do with their consciousness or with the students' consciousness. It's just just his mere presence alone was enough to spark a kind of a, an awareness or a shift in awareness, which I've always thought was interesting because I'll bring this back to, to martial arts because we're both, both martial artists. There's that book by a guy called Sam Sheridan. I think it's called The Fighter's Heart. Yeah. Have you read it? You've read yeah. it. You're familiar with it. Yeah. You, you know Sam, don't you? Right? Yeah. You told me you're friends with him and his wife. Yeah. So in that book, Sam Sheridan speaks of, you know, he went to meet Noguera and he, I think it was Chuck Liddell and a bunch of these early 2000 era UFC and MMA fighters. And he said that he just got this overwhelming sense of goodness from all of them, like this kind of solid masculine essence, this like presence. And to me, I, th- I think that that is something that, I mean, when I heard that, it just blew my mind. It made me realize that, you know, there's that, uh, I can't remember the, I think it was Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis who said this, or, or one of the Kennedys, she said there's, there's three levels of people, those who define themselves by what they have, those who define themselves by what they've done, and those who define themselves by who they are. And I would really like to be the kind of person that is, is vibrating at such a high frequency that it's just my presence that can help someone. You know, I, I don't need to go and say anything to them. I don't need to prove anything to them. I don't need to even do anything for them. Just by being around me, it will help raise their vibration. And I guess that's what I'm constantly working towards. And I think that's, what's, that's one of the paradoxes for me, because on one end, if you look at verbal communication, I mean, it's what we're doing now with the podcast. It's what I do all the time, you know, I whether through telling history on podcasts or whether when I teach in the classroom or whether through writing, I'm always using words, right? So verbal communication, of course, is what I do. At the same time, I don't really care that much about the content to a point in the sense that I find that the content is an excuse to pass on something else. And we are complicated animals. You know, we are, it's not that easy to just say, okay, let's just stare at each other for three minutes and suddenly the, you know, we are human. We use words. We do use all those things. So we do play with that game. But at the same time, it's also useful to remember that the game is happening on another level. You know, there's a, there's a great Chuan Tzu line. Chuan Tzu is one of the, you know, Lao Tzu is, a, whether he was a real human being or whether he's a composite of several authors, nobody knows. But in any case, Lao Tzu was the founder of Taoism or recognized as such. Chuan mm-hmm. Tzu came a little bit later and is another one of the main Taoist writers. And there's a line that Trance has that says, um, where can I find a man who has forgotten words so that I can have a word with him? It's hilarious, right? It's like a joke, but at the same time, it's not. He's saying, look, as long as we understand that words are limited, that what we can communicate verbally only goes to a point and that the real game is happening on a different level, let's use words all day by all means. But we're passing on is not just a rational content through these uh, verbal symbols that we use. What we're passing on is an energy. And we are finding topics and ways of expressing it and all sorts of other stuff to encapsulate it. But ultimately, what we're exchanging is energy. Oh, man, I, I just cannot agree with you enough. And what came to mind while you were describing that is, in particular, I guess for, for, for those listening, you know, one of the, the elements or one of the topics of, of my work at this point is interpersonal relationships, specifically men's relationships with women and how we interact with women. And one of the things that I realized about the male to female dynamic, right, is that it's not about the clothes you wear. 
It's not about how much money you have. It's not about the smart pickup lines you use. It's about your masculine presence and your, your masculine essence. And where, the way I got onto this once is I remember I was with my, my wife. Um, we were on a trip to New York with some friends. And we were walking around the streets of New York, like near Times Square at night, the four of us. And I was just in a really, really good place. And I was very present. And I was just thoroughly enjoying that evening and that, um, the, the, the ambience of like New York City and being with my friends. And I remember my wife, like she leaned over to me and she put her arm around me and she said, I don't know what it is about you, but you're just so attractive right now. And I realized it's because I was centered and present and just, you know, just on it, if you know. And, and uh, that's something I think a lot of men overlook in their quest to find you know, a romantic partner or their quest to be more attractive to, to women of the up uh, to, to women is they think it's something that they have to do, mm-hmm. right. Or something that they have to have, but it's not, it's something you have to be. Yep. And uh, I just find it absolutely fascinating. And it's a weird, I mean, yeah, speaking of energy, the times in my life when I found women being most attracted to me were the times when I care the least. <laughs> I was happy. I was relaxed. I was comfortable in my own skin. I didn't need anything. Sure. And whether consciously or subconsciously, they felt it. You know, and there's something, you know, when you're needy, you may have very good reasons to be needy, but the bottom line is it's not very attractive. Sure. And and you can scale that out to beyond. I mean, I, I use the woman example all the time. It's it's like, you know, when when you're desperate for some 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 action, it's fucking it's as far from you as possible. When you're dating a few chicks, then you know it, it all kind of then more come into your life. But I've realized it's like that with with everything on a universal level. You know, it's like that with with money. That's why the wealthy get more because they don't need. You know, and that's that's why uh, people looking for popularity. You know, the, the people who are already popular literally cannot pe- keep people away from them. Whereas if you have a neediness in any one of those aspects of your life, it's almost like it drives it away from you, which to me, I've always found strange. And I'd love to know if you can understand the, the philosophical reasons behind that. I mean, if it is a sentient universe with some kind of intelligence behind it, why would it choose to keep the things away from those that needed them or those that wanted them. What do you, do you get, do you get the question? Because yeah, that's a crappy paradox, you know, because once we say yes, when you are not needy, all the good things come to you. That's great. But what if you are needy? You know, I sure. what if you don't have money and you badly need it? What if you need a connection with somebody of the opposite sex and it's not that, you know, we mm. have all been in that place. And it's not exactly helpful for somebody just to say, well, you know, the day when you don't need it is going to be there. It's like, thanks, but I need it. (laughs) Exactly right. And so so it makes it tricky because, yes, it's, uh, it's one of those weird paradoxes that's very, it really doesn't help the person who's in that place, even when they completely understand that that's how it is. Sure. And so it becomes a very difficult game because it's like, okay, what do I do about it now? And in some ways, like, okay, focus on, figure out what can make you feel good, regardless of outcome. You know, sure. you don't have that thing. You're not going to get it. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Out of your mind right now, forget it. What is that could, uh, that could put you in a place to be more receptive to it? And again, sure. when in the back of your mind, you have this voice screaming, I need this, I need this, I need this. It's very hard to get to that place because it's like, yeah, sure, I can try to make myself happy, but ultimately I need this thing. And as long as that's in the back of your mind, 
paradoxical. It's almost like the opposite of the law of attraction, right? You're just yeah, yeah, yeah. The more you obsess about it. And so it's a, uh, yeah, it's uh, whoever designed the universe as a system. <laughs> that's, yeah. It's that. yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, I was thinking, I, I reflect on this a lot, that that perhaps it's kind of like, um, you know, there's, there's certain, like, uh, I guess people would call them enlightened masters or, or certain arcane, hidden spiritual disciplines which claim that it goes beyond that. And, and what it is is that the universe is, or the, the material world that we're experiencing now is is literally a mirror of a deeper, more real world. And that is why everything is always backwards. In, for example, like uh, the world will tell you you need all these things where they're literally the opposite of the things you need, right? And I'm wondering if that's maybe the reason for it, the fact that we're living in a mirror world and it, and it is kind of, inverting everything right uh, one of the thing, one of the ways i have noticed that you can kind of work within that limitation of the fact that whatever you need seems to run away from you is you always ha- you always even if you can't see it you have a little bit of what you already want you always have like let's say you you're struggling for money right like it's not like you have no money right you might have only 10 bucks in your bank account but to identify that you have a little bit of it and be thankful for it and be grateful for it. And then it's, it's been my experience that the universe is like, Oh, okay, this dude's thankful for what he has now. So I'm going to give him a little bit more. Right. And then he gets a little bit more thankful and then he gets a bit more and then he has some, so he's not so needy. So it kind of compounds. And uh, I, I guess that's what I've been working with for a long time. And I've had some success with it. It makes sense. It makes sense because if you are able, and again, it's way easier said than done, right? Because people sometimes have this, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps approach. That's like, sure, ultimately it's what you have to do, but again, way easier said than done. However, if you are able to do that, man, the results can be there because you are exactly like what you're saying is the moment you are able to put yourself in a frame of mind where you are focusing on being grateful in conditions where no sane human being would be great. You know, the guy who is uh, completely innocent and is sentenced to 30 years in jail or, you know, stuff that's like, would break down anybody and they would have every single reason to be mad about life possible. There's something magical that happens when you, you know, you're not bullshitting yourself and not saying, oh, everything is for the best. It's like, no, this thing sucks. This thing is terrible. I really wish it wasn't like this. Mm -hmm. But once we have yelled and screamed and punched the wall enough times, then let's come to the realization that this is the cards I have. These are the cards I have. <laughs> yeah. I have to play them. <laughs> so you know what? In this situation that's absolutely awful, I'm going to find the one thing to smile about, almost as an act of defiance, as an act of, I'm going to find a way to be happy in the middle of hell. Sure. Regardless of everything that the universe is throwing my way. And in doing that, Either maybe you are able to transform of your circumstances because you snap out of that victim, poor me approach. Sure. Or maybe you don't, but at least you have one good laughter before the universe might. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's been my experience. I mean, this isn't my, uh, I didn't come up with this philosophy, but I've adopted it, which is that your judgments of situations uh, is your, your judgment on a situation is literally the energy that holds that situation in place. And as soon as you let go of that judgment and you surrender, that is almost like when you cut these, you cut these invisible energy tethers that are keeping that situation active and, and, the, and something will change. It will dissolve or a, a change will happen. 
Have you ever had any experiences like that? Yeah, and I think it's. Um, I think we all expect the universe to be fair. You know, we grew up with a sense of fairness because of just the way we are raised. That you know, oh, don't do this, or otherwise this will. You know, there's all this sense that. In terms of social human values, we're taught about fairness and good and bad and all of that. Mm-hmm. And we get really deeply offended by the fact that the universe doesn't really seem to share that sense of fairness where things happen randomly, seemingly, and all of that. And so there is something, there is almost a process you have to go through to first, you know, when people just tell you, oh, get over it, everything is for the best, it's almost offensive, right? It's like, no, I'm going through these really horrible things. You cannot tell me that this is for the best. I'm just going to mm-hmm. punch in the face. You know, what are you talking about is for the best. And so we need that process, right? We need that process of acknowledging the unfairness and shit of it all and the fact that this is terrible. But once we have gone through it, then we are ready to hopefully leave it behind and move forward and go the, okay, now that we have established that and that, yes, I am entitled to feel pretty mad about this stuff. Now what? Because ultimately feeling bad about this stuff is not going to help me or anybody else. Sure. Now that I pat myself on the back and told myself, poor boy, yes, it's so unfair. You're dealing with these bad circumstances. Okay, let's move forward now. Sure. Whereas one of the things that happen is that people get stuck because either they are not able to move forward or they don't feel validated or they don't feel that it's recognized that they are dealing with something terrible and unfair. So it's important to, you know, whatever the ritual is that help you to go through it, to acknowledge what you feel about the current conditions so that then you can sort of kiss it goodbye and leave it behind and move on to feeling something else and transform sure. the conditions. Because as long as you feel that way, the conditions are not going to change. Yeah, and I've identified that there's actually there's, there's two layers to, uh, as you said, as long as you feel that way, nothing's going to change. But that's only the, that's the first layer, or that's the deeper layer. There's another layer before that that you have to peel away, which is most people beat themselves up because of the positive psychology movement and, and all those those good things that have come out of that movement, where it's like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just, there's this kind of a sense that you're not, you're not allowed to feel that way or you're not supposed to feel that way. And so people get a, like a double binding or a double like uh, punishment in that they, something bad happens and they feel shit. And then they beat themselves up by saying, I shouldn't be feeling shit. Yep. So it's kind of, it, it's kind of like you have to get through both of those layers to, to, dissolve the situation that's been a big understanding for me over the past year or so that's why in fact there's that ping pong game that always is played between on one hand people who are blaming social conditions versus the ones who are like oh come on get over it pull yourself up by your bootstraps and what people often don't realize is that both are needed and necessary because sure. purely positive psychology just toughen up and get over it is just it ends up doing a lot of victim blaming. It ends up being like, yeah, sorry that uh, we start this race with your shoes tied together, but come on, <laughs> if you try hard enough, you can succeed. And it's like, yeah, easy for you to say. At the same time, only focusing on social injustice or conditions that are outside of your control, that's not going to help you either. Because ultimately, you are an individual and you have to make choices now that are either going to make your life better or worse. Mm-hmm. But often there's this dualistic thing that we seem like we have to choose one or the other. It's either individualism, personal responsibility, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, or 
eat the let's look at the social context, let's com- correct social injustices and this and that. And to me, it's like they are both real, they're both true, and you need to address both levels. So if you start if you're stuck on one level, you may be right about society at large, but you're not changing anything and you're whining a lot. If you're stuck on another level, you are victim blaming and kind of pretending that reality is not there and just sticking your fingers in your ears going la la la. And it's like, what's so hard about doing both? Yeah, well, I think that that's, a, that's an excellent question. And it's been my finding as a student of life that it's something that you can't get away from. And that is that everything is inherently a paradox. If you get, if you dive deep enough, you will find this inherent paradox in everything. I'm sure you've, you've identified it as well. In fact, isn't that one of the, the, the roots of Taoism? Absolutely. Even like uh, a book I wrote, Create Your Own Religion, the very last chapter is all about paradox because it's saying this is like all the issues that I've dealing with in the book. Ultimately, paradox is stalking every one of them. It's <laughs> the roots of it all. It's there all the time. I mean, sure. even the thing we were talking about earlier about how if you obsess with something too much, you drive it away. That's true. At the same time, I think you can also think of cases where obsession with an outcome sure. actually help create that outcome. Yes. It's, it's completely contradictory. Yeah. And yet both real. One, one of my favorite quotes that, that I think encapsulates that idea of paradox and in particular, your, your, what you've just expressed about, you know, sometimes ignoring something brings it to you, but sometimes going after it gets it to you as well, is a quote by, is her, her name's Ariana Huffington, is that right? The woman who created the Huffington Post? Yeah. She says, life is a dance between making things happen and letting things happen. And it's one of the quotes I'm most fond of because that truly is it. You cannot accomplish anything sitting on your ass. And it's also usually detrimental to just obsess and burn yourself out on something and so you've got to it's this interplay you've got to which is tied into another idea that that a very very intelligent man probably one of the top five most intelligent people i've ever interacted with expressed to me once which is that he said the sign of a powerful mind is the its ability to hold two contradicting viewpoints at the same time absolutely And, and that that i realize is like one of the things that traditional religion teaches us to do is that it, it, it's the opposite of that. It's, it's black or white, this or that, you know, and, and that's not how life works, man. It really isn't. In fact, to me, if I have to identify one of the main diseases of the human mind is exactly the black and white mentality, that these or that, without realizing that in many, many cases, it's these or that. It's about timing. It's about balance. It's about striking the exact... Is not this uh, battle where you draw a line in the sand and there's good on one side and evil on the other. Now, having said that, there are exceptions even to that rule. Because there are things that are absolute, where it is black and white. Yeah. So even that's the paradox, right? That is like for the... uh, Like one thing that I say sometimes is like, there are absolutes, there are no absolutes, except when there are. You know, it's like for the most part, they really aren't. Most of life is not on absolute. Most of life is a dance between these two opposite forces. Uh-huh. There's a right balance. But occasionally there are things where there is no middle ground. You know, there's, uh, there is no such thing as, you know, even something as killing, right? We tend to frown on killing another human being, but there are contexts in which it may be appropriate. Sure. On the other hand, there's something like rape. You know, there is no self-defense rape. There is no circumstance 
ever in which that's justifiable in any way, shape, or form, that's pretty black and white right there. That just uh, that is an absolute. So it's. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, there are exceptions to this. But for the most part, the absolutes are few and far between. And that ability to find the right balance between opposite energies is uh, what life is all about. Sure. It makes it even trickier that even if you do find that balance, that balance is constantly changing. You know, you found it yesterday and you're like, the real balance is going 70% to the left and 30% to the right. And then you realize, yeah, that was yesterday. But in today's context, the answer needs to be a different one. Well, funny enough, in, in our very first conversation, that's, that's where that conversation led us to. I and mean, this was years ago, maybe four or five years ago, to that, that idea. We, we ended on that idea of the fact that the, the balance point is constantly moving and it's not just something you can attain and, and just relax with. You have to constantly be adjusting and, uh, and integrating the balance of opposites. It's actually, the, that's the, the tagline of one of my favorite clothing brands, Ruka, is the balance of opposites. And uh, I think about that a lot. And then it's not surprising that we would jump on, <laughs> we'd end up in that point again, because that's like, that's like saying the sun is out. You know what I mean? That's life. Sure. That's like at the very metric, at the very essence of life, uh, there's this discussion, which is why now the problem is so many people seem to miss that, that is not a bad idea to bring it back up once in a while, because, you know, myself first, you know, I forget all the time. So it's, it's a healthy reminder. Oh, just I thought of something. I mean, you're 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 a jiu-jitsu player as well, and you know how sometimes you'll well, not sometimes it's it's very common when you spar with a certain player, almost the, the 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 role is almost the same each time. Like the same scenarios keep coming up, and you know, like he's got a certain game, so you counter in a certain way, which causes him to pull out these moves from his bag, which causes this kind of like yep. strange circular repeating thing. And I'm I'm thinking that's probably what happens with our conversations is our particular personalities and experiences and viewpoints when they interact with each other and and we i guess you, you wouldn't it's not there's no combat involved it's not we're not jousting we're not debating but we're, we're discussing but still we're each bringing these viewpoints to the conversation and it's 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 like your move my move your move my move and it leads us back to the same place which i, I find fascinating yeah because to me ultimately uh, you know we can like I, I was thinking about it uh, reading a lot my father wrote a lot of books and after reading so many of them, one thing that I was telling you was like, you know what? You have an amazing way to find different examples to ultimately talk about the same six or seven. <laughs> you know, because ultimately that's what it's about, right? Those are the topics that excite you about life. Those are the sure. things that you find to be true. Those are the things that you find to be absolutely essential to any understanding of life. So that's where you go. And then, you know, the specifics change, the, the starting point change, but the essence doesn't. And I notice I do the same thing. You know, when I teach, I teach things on all sorts of different topics that have nothing to do with one another. Mm -hmm. I often end up drawing the same general conclusions. You know, it's only the, the starting points are different. The specific examples are different, but, but the essence is what it is. You know, it's life. 100%. I totally agree with you. Daniele, like, uh, I wanted to ask you, what are, what are the current themes in your life that you're, I don't want to use the word battling, but I mean, if there's anything you're battling or maybe something that you're exploring or maybe something that you're excited about, like, what are the, the things that are at the forefront of your consciousness at the moment? You know, one thing that I was noticing, uh, I mean, I've noticed it before, but I was noticing it more so this last time I was uh, visiting in Italy. 
mm-hmm. was just how I mean, part of Italian culture is to be highly emotional, and uh, you know, and I like that. You know, there's something cool about the passion mm-hmm. of it all and being intense and taking. I dig that, so I'm not. I don't see that as a negative. However, what I do see as a negative, at least in the way I act, and I saw a lot of it around me in Italy, was the tendency to react to everything in a very heightened kind of way. Hmm. And I'm just like, you know what? While emotions are amazing, if you can tap into the intensity for the good stuff it gives you, Mm-hmm. They are not that great if every little thing that happens, it's either a drama or ecstasy. Sometimes there's a skill to be learned about learning how to flow with things mm-hmm. and not, uh, you know, an object falls on your foot. Ah, my God. It's like, hey, it's a little thing fell on your foot. Just relax. Be a little more stoic about stuff. Don't. So I'm, I'm particularly fascinated with... Um, at least for myself, putting a little more stoicism, a little okay. less uh, um, reactivity to things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm ultimately I'm super emotional. I'm highly sensitive. I'm intense. So I have all that part. I don't need to cultivate it. I can actually. It wouldn't be bad for me to tone it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. To because ultimately makes me more pleasant human being to be around. It makes me feel better about life. And ultimately makes me feel more centered that I'm not so easily thrown off or I don't so easily react to external stimuli. Okay. And there's that par- there's the paradox again, right? You just described it. You are an emotional being, but you could also do with, with more stoicism and, and you I guess you're learning that interplay between those two states of being, right? You can be highly emotional, you can be more reserved and, and less reactionary. And I guess... Uh, it, it takes practice to figure out wh- when it's time to use the one or the other. Yeah, it's like I like to open my my door to my guests, but I don't want to leave it open twenty four seven. While I, <laughs> you know, it's like so sure. that skill of learning when it's a good time to. And in my case, I know I tend to lean a little to. You know, if somebody was completely different and they are this uh, constantly stoic, emotionless person, it probably wouldn't hurt for them to start learning a little bit of the other side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the way I'm built, I need a little more of the stoicism part. Sure. I always looked at stoicism, you know, I looked at it as quite a cold, cold way to interact with the world. And and I, I'm as I'm probably much much more similar to you in that regard in that I am a very passionate person and I'm always seeking peak experiences and I'm I'm I'm, I'm I really thrive on on certain emotional states and I'm almost terrified of others right? like um and i i guess i'm at that same point now where i've realized that there are times where you need to be zen right and then but again there are times where you don't want to be zen like when i see my wife when i come back from a trip or something of course and, and my like my heart starts beating fast and i'm happy to see her and i want to you know let her know i'm happy to see her i don't want to be like no kill this mute this yeah no absolutely screw that and that's that black and white thing. You know, people think, oh, there are some value in stoicism. So that's how I need to be 24-7. It's like, no, you're a robot. You, you're missing the point, you know. Uh-huh. The good stuff or something like that is that it gives you a choice on when you want to be stoic and when you don't want to be. Sure. And I think that's ultimately when it works. People do that with everything, though, Daniele. I was thinking about this yesterday. People want a defined system or idol or... 
you know, like you see it in martial arts, like guys go into martial arts and then it's like, okay, this is my life. I'm dedicating myself to it. Or they, they find out about stoicism. And as you said, then it's like, I'm a stoic. I've got to be completely stoic or I'm a Democrat or I'm whatever it is. People want to label things and they want to compartmentalize and create the system that they have to work within. And they do it to other people as well. They project it onto other people. And you realize the more you, you, the more you get in touch with, the nature of reality and the way things are that that's not necessarily a very good strategy to kind of compartmentalize things and, and to put yourself in a box as well. It really isn't. It's uh, in that sense, identity, which is what we're talking about. You know, this kind of rigid identity is a trap. Sure. It prevents you from uh, exploring outside of it. it. It's kind of like what Bruce Lee was saying about martial arts styles. You know, martial arts styles, each style has something good, some styles better than others, but each style has their strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to bind, bind yourself to only one thing and not allow yourself to explore strengths and weaknesses? You know, ultimately, every style should serve you, not you serve the style. Exactly, exactly. You said it. it it's that literally, I couldn't say it better. It's, it's about is this thing serving you or not? Or, and I, I've had to ask that question many times, especially over the last few years. And it ties back to what I said right at the beginning of the of the show today, which is, you know, if something makes me feel crappy and brings my energy down, that is when I know it doesn't serve me. Whether it's a belief system or a person or a relationship or a TV show or whatever it is. So that begs the question why people do it. And I think it's a combination of insecurity and laziness because the appeal of uh, that kind of dogmatic thinking, the appeal of embracing this rigid identity is that it has uh, a blueprint for you to follow in all situations, in all circumstances. I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican, so I have these sets of beliefs or I am a stoic, so I'm going to react to things this way all the time. It kind of eliminates your need to make choices, to think on your feet and make choices on the go. Mm. And so it both appealing to laziness because you don't have to work as hard. You can just replicate the program over and over again. Sure. And it appeals to insecurity because it's saying, don't worry, we have the answer for you every time. You're not going to you know, misjudge it and choose the wrong one because these answers are applicable in all circumstances, in all situations. Sure. But it's kind of like telling a jiu-jitsu guy, you know, every single time you roll, you need to do an armbar because that's what, that's the right answer to every jiu-jitsu problem there is. And it's like, you know, armbars are great, but there's a time and a place, you know? Sure. No, that, that, is, that is true wisdom. I really appreciate that. That's that's true wisdom. Daniele, my man, I mean, I could literally talk to you all day, but um, I know you've got uh, your empire to run. For those of you who haven't yet listened to Daniele's podcast, you can find most of them online, including um, your History and Fire show, but that's that's on Luminary now. That's the platform it's on. So we'll put a link to that. But also your Drunken Taoist is great. I really enjoyed that show, man. Uh, Got some great um, some guests in there, and, and also the discourse is just very fun. Dude. So I'll, I'll send people that way. Which is the best website address for them to, to go to? Uh, let's see. There's uh, probably yeah. There's thedrunkentaoist.com. That's where all the drunken Taoist episodes are at. Of course, they are on iTunes and on just about every other source for podcasts. Uh, History on Fire. I believe most of the old episodes are still freely available. 
and then the new ones are just on Luminary. Uh, so if people never checked it out, they can check out all the old free episodes and then decide whether they want more or not. That's the way to go. Thanks, Daniele. I, I truly appreciate you and your time, my brother. Thank you so much, Nick. Always fun. What an absolute legend that guy is. Always enjoy my chats with him. My favorite thing about Daniele is the way he uses philosophy to just improve the quality of his life. You know, there's so many people who engage with that philosophy and ultimately just turns into navel gazing or mental masturbation. And to me, if it doesn't make your life better, if it doesn't help you become more successful or more content or more loving or just better, what the fuck is the point? It's just a waste of time, colossal waste of time. And sometimes it's been my experience that people who become overly intellectually involved in the study of philosophy can make their lives even worse. You know, it can lead to can lead to depression, it can lead to paralysis by overanalysis and a bunch of other negative things. And it's it's cool. That's why that's the coolest thing about Daniele, in my opinion, is he's a very high-level philosopher. He's he's really gone deep into it and he's still able to bring it back and use it practically. And it's just such a privilege for me to know him. And I'm sure you guys got a lot out of that too. I want to thank you guys for listening to the show and supporting me. It really means a lot to me when you leave reviews on iTunes or if you share the episode out to social media. It helps uh, It helps me get the message out to more people, which is what it's all about. Cool, guys. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I will speak to you again in about a week. Until then, peace out. <laughs>